So let's begin by cultivating our motivation. Again, let's really appreciate the opportunity that we have to listen to teachings, especially teachings on the profoundly of emptiness. And so let's listen with attention and let's apply these teachings to our lives. And let's aim for full enlightenment using the understanding of emptiness to free us from afflictions so that we can develop the capability to show others the path to enlightenment as well. Okay, so let's um, begin. There are a few questions to start with. Okay, so somebody said, since cause and effect are the same category of phenomena, how is it that conceptual understanding of emptiness, which is dualistic, leads to direct perception, which is non-dualistic? Okay, um... Because when we understand, it's true, when we understand emptiness dualistically through uh, an inference, a reliable inference, then emptiness is our object of meditation and emptiness appears, but it appears through the veil of the meaning generality, you know, the concept there. By uh, repeatedly meditating on emptiness again and again, this meaning generality is worn away until emptiness is perceived directly. So when we say cause and effect are, are of the same category, we can't be too narrow about this because otherwise we wind up with how can a mind that has ignorance ever meditate and produce a mind that doesn't have ignorance. Yeah? Well, here, you know, the clear and knowing nature of the mind is the same before the emptiness has been realized and after emptiness has been realized. It's the ignorance that has been abandoned. Okay? So, when we say that they're the same category, don't think that don't make that too narrow. Otherwise, you look at a seed and a sprout and you say, how can a seed produce a sprout? They look entirely different. Okay? Then, um, okay, so somebody's been saying, I've, in thinking about the emptiness of an object, I've been thinking about the continuity of emptinesses. There's the pot and the emptiness of the pot. When the pot shatters, the emptiness of the pot disappears and the emptiness of each of the shards comes into existence. And before there was a pot with its emptiness, there was the emptiness, the clay, the water, the wheel, etc. Then I realized I was thinking in this way, that thinking in this way is viewing emptiness as an inherently existent positive phenomena. 
So how do you think about the interdependence of an object and its emptiness without seeing it that way? Okay, for something to exist, for a conventional phenomenon to exist, yeah, there's a, you know, it's a dependent arising. Things being dependent arising means that they're empty of true existence. This thing, that those two things are totally non-contradictory and exist on the same object at the same time. Okay? So, don't think of emptiness as a positive phenomenon. It's just because things arise dependently, they're, therefore they're empty of independent existence. And because things are empty, and because there's emptiness, things can arise and come into existence within emptiness. It doesn't mean emptiness has to be a positive phenomenon. Okay, it's an absence. It's an absence of true existence. Okay, um, as a permanent phenomenon, does emptiness actually have a continuity? No. Okay, because continuity implies it's changing moment to moment, and emptiness doesn't change. Okay, it's a negation, it's an absence, it doesn't change. So the table may change, but the emptiness of the table doesn't change. Okay. When a mind is directly perceiving emptiness, does it perceive it as a single phenomena, not as the aggregated emptinesses of all these zillions of dependently arising things? Emptiness is the absence of true existence. Okay? If emptiness were a positive phenomena, you would see a multiplicity of things, the emptiness of all these things. But emptiness is the absence of true existence. So absences... You know, they just, they, the, the emptiness, the emptiness of the table and the emptiness of the, the nectarine are only different because of our conceptual thought. Okay? For emptiness to exist, there has to be a conventional object that has as its ultimate mode of existence, emptiness. Okay? But when we say the emptiness of, of the the um, nectarine, that's just a, a, a nominal term, a label, you know. But but you're not going to search in here and you know find the emptiness of of it because it's the ultimate mode of being. Okay. Yeah. Do you see how easily our mind goes to like I want something to hold on to here? Yeah, something positive that I can hold on to that is. The label, okay, instead of the label is just the label, yeah. Okay, um, will you go into more detail about how an object depends on a valid cognizer that apprehends it? Okay, it isn't that, you know, there's an object out there, inherently existent, objectifiable, and there's a mind stream over here, that's inherently existent and objectifiable, and they bump into each other, okay? Because without a reliable cognizer cognizing something, how are you going to even say that thing is there to exist? If you want to say that there's this nectarine out somewhere that nobody, that there's not one single mind anywhere that perceives it, 
How are you even going to establish this nectarinous existence if there's not one single mind of all of samsara and nirvana that perceives it? Because if you said it, that that was the case, that something could exist without being perceived by a mind, then a rabbit horn could exist. Okay? So these things, you know, exist in dependence upon each other. It doesn't mean one person's mind has to be looking at this nectarine all the time because if you look over here, the nectarine's going to go out of existence. You know, that's why babies cry a lot, you know? You know why babies cry a lot? Because they think that when they stop seeing something, it's totally gone out of existence, you know? So their mom leaves the room and they shriek because they think mom is totally non-existent because I don't perceive her. Yeah? So if we thought that same way, you know, just because I don't perceive it, then it's totally non-existent, then, you know, let's go back into our crib. Okay? Because that's exactly what happens. Yeah? So there's always some mind somewhere in these infinite mind streams in samsara and nirvana that perceives things. Okay? Okay, so what's the correct term for when the emptiness of an object comes into existence since it's not a produced phenomena? Well, you said it comes into existence. That's the correct term. Okay? <laughs> it's not produced by causes and conditions, but it can still come into existence and go out of existence because the basis you know, the conventional phenomena that it's the emptiness of comes into existence and goes out of existence. So the conventional thing, the table is produced and disintegrates moment by moment. But the emptiness, which is one nature but nominally different from that, yeah, it isn't produced by causes. It just comes along with the table. Yeah. So you don't need the table to be produced by something and the emptiness to be produced by something else. The emptiness is the nature of the table. So you get the table, you get the emptiness of the table. Okay, you also get the impermanence of the table. You get a lot of different things that are one nature with the table. Okay, so we're going to talk about illusion-like existence today. Okay, so... We often talk about um, two kinds of emptiness, space-like emptiness and illusion-like emptiness. And um, the guru, I'm going to read you the two verses from the Guru Puja that apply to this. Okay? Inspire us to perfect the far-reaching wisdom through the yoga on space-like emptiness, meditative equipoise on ultimate truth, which is conjoined with the great bliss arising from pliancy, induced by discriminating wisdom, analyzing suchness. So that's talking about special insight on emptiness. Okay, so you have the discriminating wisdom, analyzing suchness, that is capable of inducing pliancy and putting in, and therefore generating serenity, so that you have the union of special insight and, and serenity. It's a meditative equipoise on ultimate truth, the emptiness of, of true existence, and it's called the space-like emptiness. Okay, so all you're doing is 
the, the object of apprehension is, the apprehended object is just emptiness. Okay? So that's the time when you're in meditative equipoise with the union of special insight and calm abide and, and serenity focused on emptiness. And it's in those kind of meditative sessions that you go from one path to the another and from one of the bodhisattva uh, grounds to another. That all happens within meditative equipoise because the transition happens either because you've, um, well, between path of accumulation and path of preparation, the transition is because you now have a, uh, a correct inferential understanding of emptiness with special insight conjoined with serenity. You get on, go on to the path of meditation. The demarcation there is because now you have the special insight that directly perceives emptiness. Okay, then you go from one bodhisattva ground or bumi to the next based on the levels of the depth of your realization of emptiness that is now capable of eliminating certain afflictions, certain levels of afflictions. So all this progression from one stage to the other happens within the meditative equipoise. Okay? Then the second kind of, of meditation here is this illusion-like meditation. And the, the verse in the Guru Puja says, inspire us to perfect samadhi on illusion-like emptiness by realizing that all outer and inner phenomena lack true existence yet still appear like illusions, dreams, or the moon's image on a clear lake. Okay? So it's realizing that all outer and inner phenomena, okay, inner phenomena are those connected with consciousness, outer phenomena are, is the environment. So all these things lack true existence. None of them have their own essence that makes them what they are. Yet, despite lacking their own essence, they still appear. Okay. So it's not that they're totally non-existent. They don't have an essence that is identifiable and findable when, when we do ultimate analysis. But despite that, these things still appear. How do they appear? Like illusions, dreams, or the moon's image on a clear lake. So those things, those three things, are similes. Yeah. So it's, they're just analogies that because when you have an illusion... Something appears real, but it doesn't exist the way it appears. Now, okay, when you see a hologram, you see something, somebody inside the hologram, but there's nobody there. But there's still an appearance of somebody. Yeah. I always come back to the ghost that was sitting next to me when I came out of the haunted house in Disneyland. You know, there's the appearance, but there's no ghost. Okay, so this is an analogy Okay, the appearance is because even when you come out of meditative equipoise, there's the appearance of truly existence, true existence, but things don't exist as they appear because they're empty of true existence. Okay? So, in the same way a dream, when we're dreaming, it seems very real, doesn't it? We get all sorts of reactions from our dream, but there's nothing there. I mean, there's a dream object, but there's... It's not a real object, even though it appears. Okay? The moon's image on a clear lake, you have a reflection of a moon. You know, there's the image of the moon on the lake, but there's no real moon there. So this whole thing, of, like last week we talked about the reflection, 
Yeah, there's there's the the face in the mirror, but it's the appearance of the face in the mirror, but it's not a real face. Okay, so this illusion-like emptiness is what we practice in the break time. So between the the sessions of meditative equipoise on space-like emptiness, then we practice seeing things because we're you know we're walking around and doing things, but we practice seeing them as uh, appearing truly existent, but not existing in that way. Okay, so you see that the appearance is false, and by you know training your mind to see them in that way, it re- reinforces your understanding that they're empty of true existence. Um, okay, so at the time we are meditating or, or thinking about illusion-like uh, emptiness. We're not using reasoning to reflect on emptiness. We're using the reasoning to go into the meditative equipoise, to search for for true existence and then not find it. So that's when you use the reasoning. In the break time, you're not using analytical reasoning, okay? But what you do is you recall your previous understanding of emptiness. And so you realize that all these things that appear to you are like illusions in that they appear falsely because they seem to have their own essence but they don't really have one. Okay, so whenever we we combine this understanding of illusion-like emptiness with any of the uh, bodhisattva deeds we're doing, then it becomes the transcendental practice of those uh, bodhisattva activities. Okay, so for example, if we're practicing generosity, and we're seeing the person who's giving, the object that's being given, the action that's that of giving, and we see all of these as falsely existent, you know, as existing like illusions, they're empty, but they still appear, then that becomes the transcendental practice of the far-reaching practice of of, uh, generosity. Okay, so... um, you know, what, what this illusion-like practice is emphasizing is that things are empty, but they arise dependently. Yeah. When we say they arise dependently, often we think, oh, yeah, there's a real thing. You know, it arose dependently, and there it is. It's a real thing. But this whole thing on illusion-like is, no, it's just an appearance. Yeah. So, so you go around in, in your life saying all these things that I'm perceiving are just appearances. Yeah. This person who seems to be making me mad is simply an appearance to my mind. There's no truly existing person there. I was under the affliction of Believing in permanence, thinking that because the sun was shining when I walked in here 20 minutes ago, that it was going to continue to be like that. Oh, dear. Okay, so some people go to extremes when they're thinking about illusion-like emptiness, and they might think that uh, illusion-like phenomena appear during daily life, and emptiness appears during meditation, so they're both truly existent. Okay? That's the extreme of absolutism. Other people might think that um, that apprehending illusory nature is still apprehending inherent existence. So nothing exists, actually. 
now. So we don't want to go to either of those extremes. Yeah. Rather, um, you know, what we're seeing is that things are empty, but they exist dependently, nominally, conventionally, on the level of appearances only. Yeah. So this is really something to train our mind in thinking. You know, this is just an appearance to my mind. You know, somebody's there screaming at you. This is just an appearance to my mind. There's no inherently existent person there. There's no truly existent criticism. Yeah, it's an appearance to my mind. Okay. Um, so, in the meditation on emptiness, functions only to negate true existence. Yeah, it doesn't negate all existence because what is left over is the illusion-like appearances. So, um, Arya, a commentary, Chandakirti in his commentary on Arya Deva said, for that reason, when analyzed thus, the inherent existence... <laughs> For that reason, when, when analyzed thus, the inherent existence of things is not established. Okay? So when you analyze, there's no inherent existence. Hence, just an illusory-like nature is left over as a reminder with respect to things individually. So there's just the illusory-like appearance. Lama Zopa sometimes... I, you know, he'll be talking about this and he'll say, it's as if things barely exist. You know, they just barely exist. You know, whereas our thing is, you know, it's real, it's there, you know. And it's, no, it's just, you know, an appearance to the mind. And that appearance comes about dependent on causes and conditions. Okay. So the same way as when you have a, um, you know, the, the appearance of a face in a mirror, that comes about due to causes and conditions. You have the mirror, you have the face, you have the lighting, you have the position of the person in relationship to the mirror. Independence upon all those causes and conditions, there's the appearance of a face in the mirror, but it's not a real face. So in the same way, you know, there's the appearance of all these things around us that arise due to causes and conditions, but they only exist as appearances. They don't have their own inherent nature. Okay, um, so this, this middle way view that sees things as empty and true existence is, is difficult to get. Um, we need many conditions to grow this kind of wisdom. So we need to hear teachings, contemplate them, meditate on them. Um, and we also need to purify our negativities. We need to accumulate merit. Um, we need to study. We need to engage in all the method or conduct side of the path. Yeah. So it's not just a thing of, of doing the analysis, although the analysis is, you know, one of the main things. Okay, so... 
this illusion-like thing, it's a combination of seeing things as empty and seeing them as dependent arising. So let me read you another quote from Jay Rinpoche. He says, this combination of the following two factors barely occurs. Okay, First factor, refuting without residue the object of negation through reasoned analysis. Okay, So you've refuted without leaving anything behind inherent existence. The second factor is the feasibility of positing as left after the negation without losing anything, all the functionalities of dependently arisen causes and effects as like illusion. Okay? So not only the realization of eliminating all the object of negation, you know, refuting without leaving any little bits of inherent existence lying around, refuting all of it completely, and at the same time, when you arise from that meditation, being able to posit conventional phenomena as dependent on arisening things, dependent, you know, most of them are dependent on causes and conditions. And so to be able to do this without losing anything, so without losing emptiness, you're still able to posit that there's conventional things that arise dependently that are empty and then being able to see that there's dependently arisen appearances that exist but that are empty of true existence. So these two things are very difficult to have. Why? Because we tend to go to one extreme or the other, either absolutism or nihilism. Okay. So we're, we're trying to get to, to those two. Okay, so there's this beautiful passage, um, and I think that it points us towards the middle way. It's from the uh, Samadhi Raja Sutra, in the Concentration Sutra. Now, there's a few places in here where the word inherently is implied but not specifically said in the sutra. Remember I said that there's uh, certain times and places where you have to take the descriptive word of inherently existent and apply it in words where it isn't literally stated. So there's many places like this, okay, in, in this quote. I'll read it first with, without reading the inherently, okay? I really like this quote. Migrators in cyclic existence are like dreams. No one is born here and no one dies. No sentient being, human, or living being is found. These things are like bubbles, plantain trees, illusions, flashes of lightning, reflections of the moon and water, and mirages. In this world, no one dies and passes or transmigrates to another life. Still, actions done are never lost. They ripen as good and bad effects in cyclic existence. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Okay, so if, if we put the inherently in here, okay, let me 
read it with the inherently. Migrators in cyclic existence are like dreams. No one is inherently born here, and no one inherently dies. Okay, you see why the word inherently is important? Because if you don't automatically understand that, you say, what? They're saying no one is born here and no one dies? I'm born here, I'm going to die. But he doesn't know what he's talking about. But you see, the, the thing of inherently is implied when you read it in. That, you know, that's the meaning. No inherently existent sentient being human or living being is found. Okay. But sentient beings, human beings, and living beings are found. But when it says no sentient being, human being, or living being is found, it means inherently existent sentient being, living being, human being. Okay? These things are like bubbles. Bubbles come and pop. Plantain trees are trees that have nothing in the center of them. There's no core or pit. Illusions appear, but there's nothing there. Flashes of lightning, you see it, but try catching it. Okay, reflections in the moon and the water, there's the appearance of the moon, but there's no moon. And mirages, looks like there's water, but there's no water. Okay. In this world, no one inherently dies and passes or transmigrates to another life. Still, actions done are never lost. So now this last bit is establishing dependent arising. So even though things are empty, still actions done are never lost. They ripen as good and bad effects in cyclic existence. So the whole law of cause and effect remains intact, even though there are no findable phenomena that have their own essence. Okay, so, you know, this is the hardest thing, they say, is to bring emptiness and and conventional existence, emptiness and dependent arising together to see that they're not contradictory. So one way that it's good to remember this is to remember the example of the face in the mirror. Okay, it's empty of a real face, yet the reflection arises due to causes and conditions. So with that example, it can be empty of a real face, but the appearance of a face arising due to causes and conditions is, is there. And you can use that appearance of a face, can't you? Even though there's no face there. So similarly, a person, all phenomena are empty of true existence, yet actions produce their corresponding experiences. Okay? So now let's talk a little bit more about this reflection and the analogy we use. So does understanding that a reflected face, okay, that the face in the mirror does not exist as it appears, does that, if you understand that, does that mean that you've understood the emptiness of true existence? No. Because we all understand there's no face in the mirror. Have we understood the emptiness true existence? No. Okay, because the reflection itself still appears truly existent to us. However, because there is a certain falsity in this appearance, it is easy, easier to realize that it's empty, that it comes, arises due to uh, causes and conditions. Okay, so there's 
we can say there's more than one way in which things do not exist that, as they appear. Yeah. So saying that the, the water in the mirage doesn't exist the way it appears, that doesn't mean that you've realized it's lacking true existence. You just realize that it looks like real water and it isn't. Okay. Um, so the, the, the thing is, you know, a reflected face is not a real face. Yeah, if you went to stroke that face, you know, what a love life, you know. <laughs> You're not going to get any response from it. Okay. Um, yeah. The, the, uh, if you see water in a mirage, you can't drink it. Okay. Uh, so this level of false appearances, everybody can realize, but emptiness is a little bit different. So this level of false appearances is called the gross illusory nature. What we're trying to look at is the, the, you know, the more subtle illusory nature. Okay. Um, okay, so realizing the emptiness of true existence of a reflection is easier than realizing the emptiness of true existence of ourself and other phenomena because of that already, that a false, falsity that's already there that we understand. Okay, now, when we say that phenomena are like illusions, and by the way, it's very important to say that they're like illusions. They are not illusions. Because if you say they are illusions, that's really like saying they don't exist at all. Okay, so that would be going to the extreme of nihilism. So they're like illusions. They're like illusions because they appear one way, but they exist in another. So um, saying that, that they're like illusions, there's two different meanings to it. One is that ultimate truths are established as merely existent, and their inherent existence is refuted. So that's one meaning of saying that it's like an illusion. So ultimate truths, emptiness, nirvana, and so on. Okay? So it, it's established as merely existent, merely conventionally existent, but it's inherent, you know, the inherent existence of ultimate truths is refuted. That's one meaning of, of things existing like illusions. But the predominant meaning of, of things existing like illusions is the second one which is, although things appear to exist inherently, inherently they are empty of inherent existence. That's the basic way that we're, we're doing it. Uh, how do we establish this sense of illusion? Okay, Jay Rinpoche says, you use two kinds of awareness, one that apprehends an appearance and one that ascertains emptiness. Okay, so there's two kinds of awareness. There's one that sees the appearance of the nectarine, okay? And there's another one that can ascertain that there's no truly existent nectarine here. Now, ascertaining that there's no truly existent nectarine here, that doesn't happen during the break time. Yeah, when you're seeing things just like illusions. That happened in your meditation, but the effect of that meditation hasn't ceased yet. Okay? So you're still, you meditated in the emptiness of true existence. 
you come out of that, but the effect of that meditation is still really affecting your mind because you know that things don't truly exist. So then, when you look at them, even though there's that appearance, yeah, still you know it's it's empty, okay? Because the effect of that meditation is still continuing, okay? So Jay Rimache also says, this sense of illusion-like requires that an appearance be based on two factors. One, the certainty of a reasoning consciousness which has concluded that that phenomena lacks essence. Okay? And two, a conventional valid cognizer undeniably establishing appearances. Okay, so you need those two factors. You know, we're coming into the same thing again. Yeah, so you have the certainty due to a reasoning consciousness from your meditative state, which has concluded that everything lacks true essence. And a conventional reliable cognizer, you know, it's valid, it's undeniable establishment of appearances. So seeing things as illusion-like, it isn't just, oh, there's flowers falling in the sky and they're empty of true existence, okay? And it isn't just, oh, look at the, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here on acid, look at all the flowers in the sky, they're like illusions, you know? So, okay, so that's not the meaning of apprehending illusion-like appearances. Yeah, because first you need a you know a conventional reliable cognizer that can apprehend things where there is a basis of designation. When you're seeing flowers in the middle of the room falling from the sky, you know, sorry, but there's no basis of designation, and there's nothing that's going to function like flowers. Yeah, okay. So we're lacking the conventional reliable cognizer. Yes, you have to have that conventional reliable cognizer. And you also need a mind that ascertains that all these appearances are false because the things lack true existence. Okay, so you need those two. So um, the illusion-like appearance is a composite of appearance and emptiness. You You can see why this is actually in some ways much more difficult than realizing emptiness. Yeah? Because in emptiness, you're just using the the reasoning to negate, negate, negate. You know, here, you're negating, but you're also seeing that there's something left over and there's something that exists. But then, it's so easy to go to this extreme of, no, there's nothing there. Or if there's an appearance, well, yeah, it's truly existent. So, you know, really getting this meaning of illusion-like appearances, you know, is, is quite difficult. And that's why this is something that's practiced after the meditative equipoise on emptiness. Okay. So, similarly, to know that a person is illusion-like, we have to have a conventional consciousness to which the person appears and a reasoning consciousness that knows the person is empty of inherent existence. Yeah. So you need to put both of those two things together and not find them in any way contradictory. So that that's the challenge. That's the hard thing. Okay.
Okay, so even in terms of a yogi, you know, somebody who's highly realized but is not a Buddha, um, you know, to their conventional eye consciousness or visual consciousness, things are going to appear truly existent. But then the the yogi relies upon the ulti- their ultimate analysis to see that this appearance is not true. It's a false appearance. Okay. And so the yogi is able to realize that when you search with ultimate analysis, you don't find the appearance, you only find emptiness. But when you don't search, then there's the appearance. Okay? So it's actually the, um, the false appearance can appear to both the sense consciousnesses and the mental consciousness, but the understanding that the appearance is like an illusion, that is only to the mental consciousness. So your eyes don't see the thing as like an illusion. It's your mental consciousness that knows that even though the eyes are seeing it as truly existent, there's no true existence there. Okay? So it's, it's a mental perception. So you can also practice uh, seeing things as like illusions uh, if you've realized emptiness inferentially, you know, so either the inferential realization or the direct perception of emptiness uh, will help you, you know, in your subsequent time to to understand illusion-like appearances. Jay Rinpoche goes into a lot of explanation about what illusion-like appearances are not, okay? So you might remember before that he, when we were talking about the object of negation, he went into a lot of detail about what it's not. And so here he's, you know, illusion-like appearances. Okay, what they're not. Okay, they're not some kind of chaotic appearances to the mind. Yeah, so it's not just, you know like acid trip and things are like popping up all over and ghosts are flying in and going out and, you know, you're having some kind of weird experience of things that you've never seen before with your eyes. That's not illusion like emptiness. That's, you know, you're going nuts. You're seeing things. You've taken too much acid. You've, you know, you something's wrong, okay? <laughs> so it's not that. Illusion-like appearances also are not just some kind of random sense that things are unreal. Because you know how, like you might have a very dear friend who dies suddenly, and when you first hear the news, you have the sense of like, this isn't real. You know, this person can't be dead. This isn't real. So you might think, oh, well, that's illusion-like experiences, things as like illusion. No. That's not, you know, it's, it's what's actually happening is our, our grasping at permanence is being, <laughs> is being shattered. Yeah, that's not illusion like appearances just because you feel it's so unreal because the person who was there yesterday is dead today. Okay. Similarly, you know, I don't know if it happens to you, but, you know, sometimes on the rare occasions when I'm in a movie theater and you get really involved in it, then afterwards you come out and everything seems kind of unreal, you know, that like that feeling. 
Okay, that also is not illusion-like appearances. Yeah, it's not, that, that's not it. Having a high fever and seeing things, <laughs> that's not illusion-like appearances. Um, okay. Some people might meditate single-pointedly on, uh, on blank, you know, do blank-minded meditation. Yeah, so there's no object because they've misunderstood what emptiness means and so they think it's just blank-minded. There's, there's nothing. So you meditate on emptiness without conceiving of anything. Okay. Due to the power of this meditation, when they come out of the meditation, when they see rocks and mountains and walls and everything, they all appear kind of insubstantial. Yeah, like rainbows. But that also is not an illusion-like appearance. Mm-hmm. Why not? Right, because because they don't have a realization of emptiness. Yeah. So they're they're not seeing things as non-truly existent. They're just having a random feeling of things being insubstantial, which you know we we can feel a lot, can't we? You know, we sometimes get this feeling of. You know, things are kind of insubstantial and not real and stuff like that. Yeah? But that doesn't mean that we're, pers- we're having the illusion-like appearance. Okay. Um, sometimes, it says sometimes after reflecting on emptiness and negating the true existence of both subject and object, some people may experience fragmented, chaotic appearances. Yeah? So... What that means is that, you know, everything looks so solid beforehand and afterwards now it doesn't and so they just, everything seems very confusing to them. So they're not sure what exists and what doesn't exist because they thought everything truly existed and then they realized emptiness and well, it doesn't exist like that. So there's this sense of confusion. So it says that this kind of experience is not uncommon for uh, those devoted to the middle way view. However, that person has yet to understand the meaning of illusion-like appearances and to realize the final view of emptiness. Yeah, because they still haven't realized the complementary nature of emptiness and appearance. So they're having that kind of weird feeling or chaotic feeling after realizing emptiness because they've negated what doesn't exist but they haven't yet been able to establish that bare, what you say, barely, so subtle, he says, barely there. You know, they haven't been able to establish that yet. Okay? So to see things as illusions, we don't need to make any special effort to alter our perceptions and to make things appear like illusions. So you don't need to go like that, like that, you know. Okay, you know, oh, now I see five, five pictures of an holiness over there. No, that, oh, there's illusory, you know. No, that's not it. You don't need to make some kind of effort. Rather, what, what we need to do is repeatedly examine if the inherently existent phenomena that ordinarily appear to us actually exist or not. Yeah. And if they don't exist, what is left over when they don't exist? Okay. Or another way to put it is that table that appears truly existent, does it, does it exist in the way that it appears? 
Okay. So, we finished that section. Okay, so we've kind of um, completed this, our discussion of uh, far-reaching uh, wisdom after I don't know how many weeks. Yeah, and that and that's just like a basic introduction to it, and I really hope I didn't make any goofs. Uh, so it's good to keep on, all of us keep on studying and contemplating about this. So as a way of summarizing, uh, going back to, to the third Dalai Lama's text, The Essence of Refined Gold, uh, he quotes uh, Jay Rinpoche, who said, Wisdom is the eye to see thatness thatness or suchness, things as it as they are. Wisdom is the eye to see thatness, the practice that eradicates the root of samsara, the treasure of excellence praised in all scriptures, the supreme lamp to dispel the darkness of ignorance. Knowing this, the wise, seeking freedom, dedicate every effort to generating it. Okay, so it's, I'm not going to explain this line by line because I think that what you should do is your homework, because you all have this text, is go through and you've heard the teachings, you explain to yourself what each line means. And that will be a good way of, you know, oh, did I, did I understand it? You know, why is, why is this wisdom the supreme lamp that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Why? Why do those, uh, the wise who seek freedom, dedicate every effort to realizing it? Who are these wise ones? Why do they dedicate? Okay? So it's very interesting to take, take something like this and then contemplate it and explain it to yourself as a way of revealing. Okay. So the four ways of, of benefiting trainees or the four ways of gathering disciples is the next topic. But we only have a few minutes left. So do you have any questions about what we talked about? Yeah. I have a question. It's it, reasonable to see that this practicing of um, both kinds of emptiness, is, uh, both kinds of awareness, is also the exercise that ultimately culminates in a Buddha being able to see both kinds mm-hmm. of phenomena at once. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the question is, is this exercise of seeing things as appearing and yet being empty of true existence, does this kind of culminate in the Buddha's being able to see the two truths simultaneously? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, in the... I'm trying to think about this in the break time when you're off the cushion. You're not using, you said some certain kind of reasoning, but you're recalling the understanding of emptiness. Yeah. Okay, so in the break, the break time, you know, you're, you're not like going through the day, oh, I'm seeing an appearance, I better sit down and, you know, go through <laughs> the four-point analysis, you know, on it. Okay, but so you're not doing that analysis right there and then, you know, sitting down and doing it, but you're recalling what you remembered from the past and bringing that awareness into to what you're doing. But let me use an example, okay? Let's say somebody lied to you, 
somebody you really trusted, you found out was lying to you up, down, and across. Okay? And you thought about all these instances, you saw very clearly, you analyzed, and you realized what they were telling you was totally wrong. Okay. The next time you see that person, you're going to see them. And at the same time, because you've thought about that, you're going to realize, I'm not going to trust them. You don't have to sit down at the same time you're looking at them and say, well, you did that, and you lied here, and you lied there, and you lied there. Because you, you already did that, and, and that feeling is still with you, that you don't trust this person. So it's the same kind of thing. You did the analysis before that all these appearances of true existence are totally false and not trustworthy. So that then, when you see those things again, you don't have to analyze. Just remember, oh, my mind's lying to me. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that um, uh, appearances are conventional phenomena of uh, assertion of phenomena certain phenomena, things that actually exist that we can interact with, mm-hmm. be impermanent because that's the only way we'd be able to interact with them. Mm-hmm. But what about negations necessarily makes them permanent? Oh, okay. So what about negations makes them permanent? They're an absence. Okay. So it's, a, it's an absence of something. Yeah. So it's not a, you know, you cobble things together to make something. It's an absence. If a table is always changing moment by moment, mm-hmm. then you would think that it's emptiness would change moment by moment along the table. No, because that seeing emptiness is a positive phenomena. Emptiness is a lack of true existence. Does the lack of true existence of the table change moment by moment? Not by the definition. No, it doesn't change moment by moment, does it? The, the table is empty, and it's empty the first moment, the second moment, the third moment. It doesn't change. That emptiness doesn't change. It's lack of inherent existence. There's no inherent existence there the first moment. There's no inherent existence the second moment. There's no inherent existence the third moment. But they're all different tables each moment. Yeah. Well, if you if you want to go and divide and to go, okay, mo- table moment one, table moment two, table moment three, then because of language and conception, we can talk of emptiness of table moment one, emptiness of table moment two, emptiness of table moment three. But those emptinesses are just the ultimate mode of existence and nothing in addition there. Yeah? It might be a little helpful to think of it in terms of the only thing, I don't know where it is, but basically emptiness and dependent arguing are just the same, left. they're two different ways to talk about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that intrinsic nature, I don't know how to say it, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Uh-huh. Program awareness and the reliable conventional consciousness. We really aren't doing either of those. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Or we're going to need them. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying those two cognizers, the probing awareness that understands emptiness and the conventional reliable cognizer, you know, we're not very most a lot of the time we aren't don't have either of those we're just instead grasping things not just things appearing as truly existent but us grasping them as truly existent so yeah a lot of the times like when we're angry we don't have either of those two awarenesses you know so that's when we're really hallucinating <laughs> But are we ever doing those things? Well, see, it seems like you have to have realized emptiness in the first place. Well, it's you have to have understood really no separate conventional appearances yeah. from truly. That's why. That's why I said this happens after you arise from meditative equipoise and emptiness. But we don't, we're not seeing it as illusory life because we haven't been able to negate its true existence yet. Now, as we practice and we contemplate emptiness, then, you know, in the break time, we can kind of play, or play with it a little bit. Like, oh, this looks real. But actually, it's just a bunch of particles put together in a certain assembly that I'm calling cup. And actually, any scientist will tell you that there's more space here than there is mass. So isn't that, it's kind of like magic that the water doesn't flow out of the holes between the molecules in the cup, isn't it? Because there's actually much more space here in this seemingly solid thing. So even a scientist should be able to tell you that this appearance as a solid cup is illusory. Yeah. So I, when thinking about this, you know, when they, you, they say that people have realized emptiness have different powers, they can walk through walls and all, I think maybe that's, that's why. Because they, they realize all the space in here, so it's easy to go through it. I don't know. We'll find out sometime later when we realize emptiness, won't we? Yeah. Where my mind something uh, probably something illusory is is then I think okay so with within the molecules there's more space than there is substance and even if you go inside the atoms there's more space than there is substance. But I somehow still believe that the protons and neutrons mm-hmm. are right. real. Yeah. 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 This is the search for the proverbial partless particles, smallest thing. You know, and the Buddhists refute that as well. Yeah. Okay, so the there's, last question. So, so there's a school though that does assert that there's a certain findable. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. There's, there's Buddhist philosophical schools that say that there's the you know, smallest particles. Yeah. So. But they have no inherent existence. Some schools assert it, right? Well, those, those schools say they do have inherent existence. The ones that believe in partless particles, they say that those things are truly existent. Okay, but Madhyamaka say there's no partless particles, plus there's no true existence. <laughs>
But even if there were a partless particle, it wouldn't have any inherent existence. Well, you can't say that. That's like saying even if there were a rabbit's horn, it wouldn't inherently exist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, even if there were a rabbit's horn, it could be pink. <laughs> okay. So, let's dedicate. May the spiritual teachers who lead me on the sacred path and all spiritual friends who practice it have long lives. May I pacify completely all other and inner hindrances. Grant such inspiration, I pray. May the lives of the venerable spiritual masters be stable and their divine actions spread in the ten directions. May the light of Lothar's teachings dispelling the darkness of the beings in the three worlds always increase. Idam Guru-Ratna-Mandala-Kamniya-Dayami Due to this merit may we soon attain the enlightened state of Guru-Buddha that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May that precious body mind not yet born arise and grow. May that one have no decline, but increase forevermore. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma done by groups supporting the teachings and their upholders who spread the view of dependent arising and nonviolent actions in the ten directions, and especially at Shavasya in the West Lord.